I've often heard people say, you know, God doesn't put on us more than we can bear. I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. God puts on us a lot more than we can bear. So we learn to trust him more. And so we learn that he can carry us through. Uh, So anyway, a couple announcements real quick. And uh, while you're turning your Bible to Mark chapter 1, Susan asked me to ask all the deacon wives to meet with her up here at the front right after the service. And then just a word, the contribution records for last year are available. Uh, You can pick them up in the church office right after the service and help uh, us do that, okay? All right. I'm going to start a new series today. I'm calling The Great Omission. The Great Omission. That comes from the fact that uh, of all the things that... uh, Jesus asked us to do the the Great Commission. He asked us to do one thing, and that was to make disciples. Not get people to make decisions, not build buildings necessarily, not do all this other stuff we do, but he said make disciples. I believe that over the next four or five weeks, this study will have the potential to literally change your life, my life. It has potential to make this year the best year ever in in a lot of our lives. Because we'll be obedient to what Jesus has asked us to do. You see, the Bible teaches that Jesus never intended the gospel to stop with you and with me. He intended for us to pass it on. He intended for us to be conduits of his grace to other people. He intended for us to make disciples. And my goal in this series, I'm just going to be real honest with you, my goal in this series is to get every one of us to participate in the discipleship group of three or five men or women for about 13 weeks beginning February the 7th. So I'm just going to be right up front with you. I'm going to put it out there. I believe if you've set a goal for spiritual growth this year, and I hope you have, this will be the thing that will send you into overdrive spiritually. This will help you to see radical growth spiritually in your life. Uh, But we're going to look at what the Bible says about this, though. I hope I can convince you from the Word of God, not just from my own opinion, but from the Word of God, what the Bible says about the importance of making disciples, about what it is to make a disciple, about who can make disciples, and and maybe look at why we don't make many disciples today. We're going to look at what a discipleship group looks like. And today, though, I want us to look at Jesus' original invitation to his first disciples. And I want us to see their response because that changed the world. See, before you can make disciples, you have to be a disciple. And so I want us to stand together. I want us to read, beginning in verse 16 and read down through verse 20, our text today, as we look at the invitation that can change the world. The invitation... To change the world. Mark says, and Jesus was passing along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. And going on a little further, they saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat 
with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, today I pray that you, through your Spirit, would help us to hear what it is you want to say to us today. Father, we don't need more information. We don't need to be informed more necessarily. We need transformation, and that only happens through your Spirit. And so, God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and that the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. And, God, that you would work among us today as we talk about what it means to follow you as your disciples. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Have a seat. An invitation to change the world. I want us to look at two things in this passage today. I want to look at the participants, and then I want us to look at the process of discipleship. First of all, I want to look at the participants. The text says that early one morning, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees four men, and he invites them to follow him. Now, one of the other gospel writers, John, tells us that these men had already had some contact with Jesus. But now Jesus invites them to follow him, to become his disciples. And I want us to notice two things about these guys in the text. Number one, notice that they were ordinary, common, blue-collar workers. They were fishermen. Fishing for a living was and is hard work. Uh, it demands long hours. It's physically demanding. In that day, it, was, it meant you had to row your boat. You didn't have motors. You had to row the boat. You had nets, big nets with rocks sewn into the edges that you had to throw out and then pull back in. It was a lot of physical work. It was very stressful. You never knew if you were going to catch anything or not from one moment to the next. It was dangerous work. On the Sea of Galilee, storms could blow up in just a minute, and it was very dangerous. You were up all night fishing. That's usually when you fish. And then that morning, if you caught anything, you would sell those fish there by the seashore. And then after all the fish were gone, hopefully, you would mend the nets and get ready for the next night. Then you would run home and try to grab a, a few winks of sleep. And then you'd the next day do it all over again. For some of you, that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's kind of the way it is. Now, I want us to look at these guys, these common, ordinary guys. Uh, Peter. Uh, Peter was a big guy. Peter was probably the oldest of the disciples. Peter was a rough guy. Had a foot-shaped mouth. Never missed an opportunity to stick, it, stick his foot in his mouth. His younger brother we know is Andrew. Andrew was a people person. He was not like his big brother in a lot of ways. Every time we read about Andrew in the scripture, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. Andrew was a people person. He was the evangelist of the group. And then there are James and John. They were known, they had a nickname. They were known as the Sons of Thunder because of their temper. And one time later on, they wanted Jesus to send fire and brimstone down on the village that hadn't responded to the gospel. James, we know, was the early pastor, was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. And he was also the first disciple to be martyred. He was beheaded. John, we know, was probably, maybe we don't, John was probably the youngest of the disciples. He was the one, the Bible says, that Jesus loved. He was probably a teenager, more than likely. Most of these guys were probably teenagers or in their early 20s, except for maybe Peter. But he was the youngest. He was Jesus' closest friend, 
Uh, and, and John was very thoughtful. If you'll read the Gospel of John, you'll, you'll see that in him. John, as a matter of fact, wrote more of the New Testament than any other disciple. He wrote more of the New Testament than anybody except for the Apostle Paul. James and John, we also know, probably were Jesus' cousins. Uh, they were his first cousins, probably. Uh, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 56, it says that among the, the ladies at the cross were listed. And it says among those were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And then in Mark's gospel, Mark 15, verse 40, it says there were also women looking on from a distance at the cross, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. And then, so the mother of the Zebedee boys was probably named Salome. And then in John's gospel, John 19, verse 25, it says, But standing by the cross of Christ were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the mother of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And so the chances are pretty good that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were the first cousins to Jesus, that their mom and Mary were sisters. But the thing I want you to notice about these guys is they were ordinary guys. They were hard-working, blue-collar guys. The second thing I want you to notice about them is they had no formal religious education. They had no formal religious education. They had not been to seminary. They had not been to Bible college. Uh, as a matter of fact, later in the book of Acts, turn over in your Bible to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we have this description of Peter and John, the two of these men that we're talking about today. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Peter and John had been preaching the gospel. They had been taken before the Sanhedrin, the scholarly religious people of the day. And this is what Luke says about them. And now when these scholars, these religious people, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, probably from the way they talked, the way they dressed, the way they acted, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were uneducated. They had not been to seminary, had not been to a Bible college. They were religiously uneducated. Now, like every good Jewish boy, they had, had some religious training. But at the age of about 16, there was a, there's a, a, a dividing point where you make a decision either to go to synagogue and, te- and become a rabbi or you go do a trade. And these guys had all gone to do a trade. They'd all become Fishermen, here's the point, folks, that I want to make. If Jesus could use these common, ordinary, uneducated men to make disciples and change the world, guess what? He can use you and me. He can use you and me. You know, sometimes we tend to glamorize these guys. We, we tend to idolize these disciples. But we need to remember that these men were just like us. They had their ups and downs. We know from the gospel records they struggled with pride. They doubted. They were slow learners. They were not heads. They, they couldn't always be counted on. They got scared. Kind of sounds like me a lot. If God could use them to change the world. If God could use these guys to make disciples, we're here today because of these guys and their faithfulness, then he could use us. Somebody told me a long time ago, gave this quote. I I forgot who gave it to me, but I, I like it. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. You see, God, when Jesus came looking for disciples, he bypassed the temple. He he didn't go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious scholars of the day. 
He didn't go to the big city of Jerusalem or the wealthy city of Jericho. No, he went to the countryside, to the Sea of Galilee, and called some ordinary common fishermen to come and change the world with him. And folks, since Jesus was able to use those guys, we have no excuse why we can't allow Jesus to use us either. These men were common, ordinary, blue-collar people who chose to obey Jesus' call. Follow me. They were common, just like me. Secondly, I want us to notice the process. Embedded in this text today is the process of what a disciple is and how you become a disciple. I want us uh, to look at it. Number one, the most obvious thing is a disciple follows Jesus. A disciple follows Jesus. Andrew and Peter and James and John answered a call to follow Jesus. One of the most basic definitions of a disciple is one who follows a teacher. Now, we know from John's gospel that Andrew and Simon had already spent a little bit of time, maybe even John had spent a little time with Jesus before. Back in John's gospel, in John chapter 1, I want you to turn back there because I want you to see something here. John chapter 1, verse 35, John says, And the next day John was standing, this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, come and you'll see. And so they came and saw where Jesus was standing. They stayed with him that day for it's about the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock in the evening. In verse 40, and one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And on the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Well, John tells us that Andrew wanted to know where Jesus was staying. When he heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, Andrew wanted to know where Jesus was staying. And so before he went, though, the text says he went to find Peter, his brother, and took him to meet Jesus. And they spent the afternoon, or spent some time with Jesus. We're not sure exactly the chronology here, but, but they spent time. The text tells us it's about 4 o'clock. A lot of scholars believe that the other disciple that's not named here was John himself. And so they, they spend the afternoon with Jesus, but at some point they go back home. They go back to their fishing uh, jobs. And so Mark chapter 1 verses 16 through 18 happened sometime after John chapter 1 verses 43, which explain why it may have happened pretty quickly after that, which explains why Andrew and Peter were still casting their nets. Because usually they cast nets at night and they cleaned them and mended them in the morning. Maybe John, uh, Andrew and Peter had gone back that night to fish and they were still trying to catch up because they had not been able to fish much because they would spent some time with Jesus. And they had not had that opportunity that night. But I want you to notice this invitation that Jesus gives these men in Acts, I mean in Mark chapter 1 is different. Uh, this is an invitation to abide with Jesus, not just to visit with him for the afternoon. That's what Andrew wanted to do. He says, Lord, where are you staying at? And so Jesus said, well, come and see. And so they went to see where Jesus was staying at. Jesus is not calling them to come and visit him every afternoon or, or a few afternoons. He's not calling them to be just an acquaintance, not just 
calling them to spend time with him once a weekend, but he's calling them to abide with him. This, this is to walk with him on a daily basis. He's not wanting them just to come and visit from time to time. A lot of people today just visit the Lord on Sundays at 11 o'clock for a few minutes and then go home and do their own thing and then maybe the next week it happens and then they do it again, maybe not. It's not only a call to, to abide with Jesus, but it's a call to accept Jesus as, as authority. It, it, when you follow someone, it means that someone else is now the leader. The teacher always walked ahead of his students. And the teacher is the one who sets the direction and the pace. He's the one that decides the course of study. The teacher is the one that decides when the tests occur. And so to follow Jesus means that we accept him as the authority in our life. No longer do we get to call the shots. Jesus sets the direction, the tone. He's the one that decides. And then finally, this call to follow is a call to adopt Jesus' lifestyle. Students would often would adopt the beliefs and behavior of their teacher. They would model their lives after his. Uh, if you were a, uh, a follower of, of Freud or follower of some professor, you were known as a disciple because you had the same ideas and the same beliefs and you practiced the same way that person did well that's what a disciple is as a matter of fact the text in acts tells us these men these religious people recognized that these guys had been with jesus why because they acted like him they talked like him they, they were beginning uh they were exuding the adoption uh, the lifestyle of jesus and so a disciple is one who follows jesus it's not a part-time thing i think i'll do it once a day or once a week or but it's an everyday abiding kind of thing. It's, a, it's, it's to have a new authority in my life. It, it, it's to have a new way of living, a new lifestyle, a new set of beliefs, a new set of behaviors. Secondly, the text tells us that a disciple is formed by Jesus. That's seen in the phrase when Jesus says to them, I will make you to become. The word become there means that the discipleship is not an event. It's not just a study, it's a, it's a process. It happens over time, not in an instant. We have a theological word that talks about this process. It's the word sanctification. It's a lifelong process of being conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. It doesn't happen when we make the decision. We walk an aisle, we get dunked, we slide down, whatever we do. It doesn't happen at that moment. It happens over a lifetime of walking with the Lord, listening to the Lord, obeying the Lord, practicing what the Lord asks us to do. Jesus formed these disciples through spiritual experiences with him. As they walked with him and lived with him, he taught them every day. He modeled his behavior for them. He gave them tasks to do. He let them ask questions. He asked them questions. He sent them on a mission. He watched as they taught others. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to allow Jesus to, to form us. And he says, as, a, as groups, we're going to work through this book called Growing Up. It was written by Robbie Gallaty, who's now the pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church. One of the best books on discipleship that I've ever come across. David Platt read the Matter of fact, this guy was discipled by David Platt, who's our IMB uh, president. This is a great explanation of what it is to make disciples. It's basically divided into two sections. First section, the first couple, three chapters, gives us the biblical understanding of what disciple-making is, why we need to do it, what, what's happened to us, and why we need to do it. And then the last of the book talks about spiritual disciplines or ways that we can allow Christ to form us. And he uses the acrostic closer, C-L-O-S-E-R, to communicate with God through prayer, 
to learn to understand and apply God's word to our life, to obey God's commands, to store God's word in our heart, that's to memorize, to, to evangelize, to spread the good news, and then to learn to renew ourselves daily. That is how to have a daily time with the Lord. You see, folks, we cannot grow ourselves spiritually, but we can put ourselves in a position where that growth is possible. It's like having a garden. That's a lot of work. My dad used to have big gardens, and it was a lot of work. He had to till the soil and prepare the ground. Then he had to plant the seeds, and then he had to fertilize, and then he sent us up there to weed what grew up, you know, and all that stuff, and then to cultivate and all that kind of thing. And, and, and planting a garden takes work. But my dad, no matter how good a gardener he was, he could not make the plants grow. That was God that did that. It's kind of like physically the same is true. We can put ourselves in a position to live a healthy life and to live a long life by exercising, by sleeping right, by watching what we eat and all that kind of stuff. But it is in our life, our growth is in God's hands. We can't make ourselves grow an inch. We can't change our hair color. We can't make our hair stop, stop growing or start growing again, that kind of stuff. That's God that does that. But we can put ourselves in a position. And see, part of the problem today is that we have, in the church, not we have begun to be a place where we depend on others to do for us and, and to feed us. And a Sunday school teacher has to feed us or a pastor has to feed us. And people, they sometimes they'll say, well, you know, I'm not going to that church because I don't get fed. And I want to look at the person, especially if they're in their 40s and 50s, I want to say, have you not learned to feed yourself yet? That you're dependent on a pastor just to do it? Seriously? You know, and so what a disciple is, a disciple is one who learns to feed him and herself, who learns to take responsibility for their own spiritual growth with the help of the church, with the help of the pastor, with the help of Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. But then he or she is able to feed themselves and grow spiritually to the point where they can reproduce in others, where moms and dads can disciple their kids instead of co-opting that out to a youth minister that's 16 years old. I mean, what, what kind of sense is that, you know? Uh, and where we can disciple one another, where we can actually be used of God to help other people. Because it, it, the, one of the reasons we're not reaching our world today is because we're just dependent upon a few missionaries, a few professionals to do it, and then we just we just can't do it all. That's why we need one another, and that's why we need to allow Jesus to form us. Just imagine for a second, if you only worked in a garden, if you had a garden and you only worked in it one hour a week, what shape do you think that garden would be in over time? It'd be pretty sad. Or if you were trying to get physically fit, but you only ate right and exercised right one hour a week, you'd look like me. <laughs> Don't laugh too much. If, if we're going to be healthy, it takes a, a commitment. If we're going to be a disciple, it takes a commitment. And so that's why we're, I'm going to ask you to be a part of a group. Now, I know you say, well, Pastor, I come to church, and, and I go to a Sunday school group, and that's great. But it's there's more to it. A discipleship group will help us learn how to feed ourselves and grow ourselves and help other people do the same. And so it'll be like turbocharging our spiritual growth. And so we're formed by Jesus. Thirdly, notice that disciples focus on others. These disciples had a purpose, and it was to be fishers of men. 
of other people. It's not just, their purpose was not just to make them healthier and happier, uh, not just to make them smarter, more spiritually mature, but their focus was on others. Jesus clarified what it meant for, to fish for men in Matthew 28 when he gave us the Great Commission. It is to make disciples. Notice that these fishermen, these guys were doing two things when Jesus called them, which I think wasn't an accident. I don't think it's an accident that this is, is described for us. Number one, they were casting out their nets. That's evangelism. That's evangelism. You know, when you cast out a net, just like when you cast out a rod, you don't catch something every time. But if you don't cast out the net, then guess what happens? You don't catch any fish. These, these guys use these big nets. They were a number of feet uh, in diameter, and they had weights, rocks sewn into the edge. And they, were, they would throw those out into the water, and then they would let them sit, and then they'd pull them back in. Hopefully, they catch fish. That took work. It takes work to fish. It takes work to do evangelism. How, how many of you have ever been fishing? You know, I've seen a few videos where fish actually jumped into the boat. I've never had that experience. My dad, when he raised those gardens, he said, boys, it's time to go up there and dig those potatoes. I, I learned something. Those potatoes didn't dig themselves. The corn didn't shuck itself. We had to go up there and do it ourselves. We had to go in and bring the harvest in. Evangelism takes work just like casting takes work. And, and then <clears throat> it also takes reason. You know, it would have been a lot easier for Peter and John probably to cast the net on the shore because the nets wouldn't get wet and wouldn't get heavy. It would have been a whole lot easier. It would have been more comfortable, but it wouldn't have been more profitable. And so the casting then also takes reason. You've got to figure out where the fish are. You've got to go to where the fish are. Have you ever noticed that? <clears throat> you know, some people want to fish in an aquarium all the time, you know. You gotta go out there where the fish are, and that means sometimes you gotta you gotta get up early in the morning or late at night. You gotta get in the boat, you gotta fight the mosquitoes, you gotta get the gear, you gotta go out there, you gotta be in the cold or the hot, whatever. It, it, it takes time. You gotta leave the shore. And these guys were fishermen. And and part of the problem sometimes is we think discipleship is all about evangelism. And so we want to reach people, help people make decisions. Well, it's more than that. It is that, but it's more than that because the second thing they were doing, they were mending their nets. This is a really interesting word. And as I studied that this week, it's a Greek word, katharizo, and literally it means to make something fully ready, to mend, to repair, or to establish, equip, or prepare. And it's used several other places in the New Testament. It's interesting where it's used. One of the places is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17 where it says, after it says the scripture is inspired by God, in verse 17 it says that the man of God may be complete, that's the word, complete, equipped, mended, prepared, ready to do every good work. It's interesting. And then the other place is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, which is kind of the, the clarion call for the church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip, that's the word, to mend, to prepare, to equip fully. That's the word. And so evangelism and discipleship are not two separate things. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And that explains why sometimes we've, we've done okay in evangelism sometimes. We get people down an aisle, we get them dunked, and then a year later we can't find them anymore. Or we have people that hop from church to church to church to church. Part of the reason is there's no rootedness. 
You know, I read an article this week about why, there is, why the, uh, there's not evangelism conferences anymore and why the attendance has gone down. Well, part of the reason is we've entertained our people instead of discipled our people and challenged our people and called our people to go and to make disciples. And, 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 and this, uh, this consumer mentality in the church today, not, not in, uh, fortunately in this church, but in a lot of churches, there's this consumer mentality where they've made the church all about themselves. It's all about me. You've got to give me. You've got to teach me. You've got to help me. You've got to visit me. You've got to serve me. We've got to turn the church into a spiritual babysitting center instead of a, a spiritual college and spiritual growth where people are growing up and say, how can I serve you? What can I do to build the church? Well, there's not a Sunday school class in my age group. Well, man, I'll teach it. I'll learn how to do it. I'll, we'll find somebody. Well, 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 there's not this ministry. Well, I'll do it. Well, well, somebody needs to go visit them. Pastor, don't you worry. You study the word. I'll go do it. You know, I have people come and they'll say, what, what can your church do for me? And I want to say, well, that's not the question you need to be asking. The question you ought to be asking is what can you do for the church? What, how can you live for Jesus? What can you do to build the church up? You see, God never intended the gospel to stop with us. He intended for us to pass it along. He intended for us to focus on the needs of others. And then finally, last thing here, is that disciples forsake everything else. Notice when these guys, when Jesus called them, what they did, they left. And they left immediately, and they left everything behind. Folks, one of the things that, that you're going to have to understand, and that we're all going to have to understand, one of the reasons why, probably why discipleship isn't done as much today is because it's a costly call. And, and listen, to grow up, you've got to give up. <laughs> you've got to give up some things. Now, when I'm asking you to do a discipleship group, it's going to mean that you're probably going to have to give up something in your schedule in order to do it. You're going to have to give up something. But, but Jesus said that's kind, of the, that's kind of the deal with discipleship. That's kind of the deal with following him. You've got to give up some stuff. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Later in Luke 14, he outlines the cost of discipleship. He says, you've got to love me more than your family. You've got to love me more than yourself. You've got to be willing to bear your cross. You've got to be willing to die to your plans. You've got to be willing to renounce all everything else. Two guys came to Jesus one time, wanted to be his disciple. One was a scribe, a religious guy. Jesus said, well, if you're going to follow me, you need to realize that the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. In other words, if you're going to follow me, it's going to mean you have to leave home. You have to leave your security. Another guy came and said, Lord, I want to follow you, but first I've got to go back, and, and when my dad dies, I'll bury him, and then I'll come. And Jesus said, you let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. And sometimes it means we've got to give up some family's things. You know, we've got to idolize family, put the, almost put above Jesus today. You know, it's a, Sunday night's our family night. No, no, Sunday night's the Lord, still the Lord, part of the Lord today. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, that's the family night. You know? And so the point here is that Jesus is telling us we cannot follow the Lord on our own terms. If we're going to grow, we've got to grow on his terms. There was an author of a book I read not long ago that asked a group, a large group of church leaders to give a one-word description for the name of the organization he would name. And then he named several. And so I kind of want to, I want to do this for us today. Uh, Starbucks. One word describes Starbucks. What's their product? What's their mission? Coffee, sure. Uh, Chevrolet. Cars. Rolex. Watches. And then the man asked this question, the church. And it was dead silence. Now, sometimes people, what is the mission of the church? Well, Jesus very clearly gave it to us in the Great Commission. 
And part of the problem today is that we've misunderstood and we've forgotten the mission. It's to make disciples. It's not just to build buildings. It's not just to have worship service. It's not to have smoking lights and hold hands and think kumbaya and all that kind of stuff. We, it, it, discipleship is not just a, a thing that we used to do on Sunday nights at 5 o'clock that we don't do anymore. Uh, it, it's not just something that professional clergy are paid to do. It, it's something that Jesus has called his church to do, to make disciples. And so I want to encourage you to begin to pray now to be a part of this 13-week experience beginning in February, to be a part of a discipleship group, to meet for an hour every week to disciple one another, to pray, to, to study through this book together, to memorize some scripture together, to encourage one another, to hold one another accountable. And there are three things I specifically want to ask you to do starting today. Number one, I want you to expect God to radically change your life. Expect God to radically change your life. Secondly, I want you to start praying about who to meet with. Men with men, women with women, three to five, including yourself. And then I want you to mark Sunday evening, February the 7th on your calendar because that's the night we'll form the groups. We'll help you do that. Now, you, are, you may have already a group, and that would be great. We'll have the books. We'll have all the material. We'll have you ready. But we'll do that over in the ALC, around tables. We'll form all the groups, and we'll do the first session all together so we'll kind of get on the same board together. As a matter of fact, some of you may want to facilitate. And if you're interested in helping facilitate, not lead, you say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I can do that. You know how far ahead you have to be of someone to lead them? One step. One step. And we've got plenty of deacons. We've got plenty of Sunday school teachers. We've got some of you that have been through Master Life. You, may, you may, maybe have been through Navigator 27 stuff. I want to encourage you to come tonight right after the service and want to talk with you for just a few minutes about that. Okay? So mark that down. All right, one question uh, that I want to ask you this morning. How many of you today, if I were to ask you, are you following Jesus? Are you one of his followers? Are you a disciple? You say, oh, pastor, I know I am. Would you just raise your hand up right now all over the room? Yeah, a bunch of us. Okay. And some of us couldn't say that. Some of us can't say, well, I, you know, I'm not following Jesus. I know that, but I, but I want to and I need to. Listen to me. Jesus loves you. He called these guys. He called Peter. He called John, he called James, he called these guys, he knew what they were going to be. All these guys were common guys. They made mistakes. They had some big problems in their life. Peter denied Jesus. And you know the story, most of you know the story. And yet God called them and God used them. And listen to me, the good news of the gospel today is that God can use you. He can. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm going to give you an opportunity today to begin to follow Jesus, to take a step to follow Jesus, to become one of his followers, one of his disciples. Would you do that today? To admit, I'm going the wrong way right now, and I need to go a different way. To believe that Jesus died to forgive you, that he has the power to change you. Would you give him your life today? I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to have a time of invitation and if you want to know Jesus and want to begin to follow him, I'm going to invite you to just walk right down this aisle. Take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want to follow Jesus. Help me. Some of you are, know Jesus, but you've never followed him in baptism. You've never publicly declared your allegiance. Notice that when Jesus called these guys, it was out in the open. It was public. Baptism is a command. It's the way that we show the world that we're all in. Some of you need to do that today. Some of you uh, are not members of a church, and you need to be. 
All Jesus' disciples were part of church. There was a group. It wasn't, Jesus didn't call them to just be lone rangers. He called them to a group. He loved the church. He gave himself for the church. And some of you need to be a part of the church. We'd love to have you be a part of the church. And Father, I want to pray for each person right now, today. Help us to do what you've called us to do. Father, some of us are Christians, and we've been Christians for a while, but no one has ever come alongside of us and showed us how to really pray or even have a quiet time or share our faith or feed ourselves from the Bible. And we want to do that. We're scared. We're, we're not really sure about what all it means. But we're willing. We're willing to answer the call. When, when you called Peter, James, and John, those guys, to follow you and become fishers of men, they didn't know everything that meant. They just knew the one that called. Father, today I pray that you would, through your spirit, move in each one of our hearts. Help us to make the decisions we need to make today. In Jesus' name, as we stand together and as we sing, if you need to come, you come quickly.